a lot more in Quraysh before, in the prior surahs, we've seen a collection of surahs that if you continue on this path, Allah will destroy you just as He destroyed who? See this surah after surah after surah. Never was there a mention of the believers being the instrument. Even the believers didn't know. All they thought maybe at the time so one day, you know what, a storm will come and hit Mecca. An earthquake will come and hit them from underneath. Allah knows, but that's similar in pattern to those pirate nations that have been wiped off of the face of this earth because of the rebelliousness, that's what's going to happen. That's the, the, the typical mind. That, that's how it works. We read data from outside and we think it's going to apply the same way to my situation. But Allah surprises us. So as Muhammad comes with black tidings, actually, to declare that under one condition, if you uphold this condition, Allah is going to honor you. By turning you into the instrument, you, the believers, who've been so weak, so demoralized, so shattered, so tortured, so persecuted, you felt like you have no chance. You're lowly, right? You're, you're trampled on in Mecca. You're chased out. The lion is gonna, has its grip on you. What can you do? Allah's showing them, you're going to be the ones that I use, not a storm, not wind, not the sun, and not earth. You. With your own hands are going to be the ones who what, vanquish these rebellious idolaters who are fighting the way of You. And it must have been like a, a shock for them. It's like, what? It's like, how? Right? We're low, we're low in numbers. We're weak. We don't have stamina. We don't have backing from any tribes. How? Allah says, watch and see. But the condition is what? Exactly. Steadfastness and obey Rasulullah's Utmost discipline and sacrifice. And Allah will show how it happens. And where did he show them that? In Badr. Right? They were low in numbers. They were continuously being attacked. And notice, the Mecca is never left alone. Otherwise, the message would have been maintain the peace. Right? If they maintain peace, if their posture of the Mecca was peace, then show peace. When they incline towards peace, incline towards peace, no problem whatsoever. Because ultimately it's existential, we need to survive, right? Not about dying on this earth, no. About maintenance of life, maintenance of well-being, maintenance of community, and being able to grow in faith and protect your children. That's what Allah is concerned about. But they constantly got attacked. So the message was instead of Pardon and let him go was what? No, you're a community now. You're in a city. Protect yourself. Stand firm. This is not a time to be timid and meek. So we have to distinguish that in the different situations of life, we have to exhibit different behaviors, right? Depending upon the situation and the threats that are being imposed, there are times when you keep a distance. There are times you need to be firm with someone and say, you cross the line, right? You can't do that. There's a time in which the community needs to stand up and say, this is evil, right? It cannot go, etc., etc." It's not always about saying, mm, just forgive. Sure, you can forgive in your heart, but there are times when you need to stand up and defend yourself and display courage, and that's not easy. And Allah says, so you need to give. Sacrifice that without giving. First, obedience, strict obedience to Rasulullah. No matter what he says, trust his judgment. 
Just his judgment. Don't question it. Because it's inspired by whose judgment? Allah. You might not be able to read it. You're concerned with reading things. Allah has long-term plans that are beyond our comprehension. If you strictly obey Rasulullah without questioning him, without uh, being petty about how you evaluate success, and if you're loyal and continue to give, Allah will show you your power. They did this in Badr, but they didn't do it with at least a group of them in Uhud. And it was not deliberate. They were just busy with what? Collecting what? Uri. And the eyes start tricking us and making us believe that success is gain of material, physical objects, right? An accumulation of life, material aspects of life, we're in trouble. Because we're busy with short-term things. And when those archers on the hill of Uhud suddenly forgot in an instant the command of Rasulullah stay on the mountain no matter what, even if you saw, he said, even if you saw us dead in front of you on the field, and the birds are chewing on us, don't move from your post. So strict. And the leader told them, the leader of the archers was begging them, don't go, don't leave. But when they saw the, what appeared to be a victory, they rushed down in a zeal. And often does this excitement and zeal make us think that, oh, that's it, we won. Allah says, nope. The test was not the booty. You can get booty anytime. The test is, are you able to be disciplined? And when they were not disciplined, they lost the war. And 70 people got killed including the uncle of Rasulullah What a lesson. That's also not Muhammad. How does Allah end the surah? Powerful verse to conclude that surah. An invitation, honorable, heavenly invitation from Allah to the believers, including us. He says, if you turn away from this beautiful cause, that demands what? Sweat, giving, sacrifice, but most importantly what? In the heart, surrender to Allah and Rasulullah. So not to question everything, not to say it has to fit my plan and my agenda, right? And to be constantly accompanied by how come, how come, how come things are not happening the way I want. If it's really accompanied by that condition of the heart, and you give, and you sacrifice, and utmost on your mind is the pleasure of Allah and Rasulullah, Allah says, you're, you're it, you're in. Because I'm going to use you now to execute and lead the good on this earth. Can you imagine the greatest honor? What is the greatest honor in your mind? Sisters, you know, um, we covered this dua in, uh, in, in the whole, you know, in Jama'ah prayers two weeks ago. The dua of the believers in Surah Al-Furqan, O oh Allah grant us from our spouses and our children, bless for our hearts, you know, you know, things that cool our eyes, make them the object of our pleasures, that they grant us that satisfaction. That when we look at them, our eyes don't shift from the joy, from the satisfaction. <laughs> What's the second part of the dua? <laughs> don't just make us righteous and good. Make us believe in something good. Can you imagine that ambition? I want to be on earth, not to just be good. No, 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 no. I want to be the example, the role model. That when others look at me, meaning for all of us, like just, you know, it's articulating the du'a, du'a, and it's coming from you now, right? 
And this is how Allah articulates it. For you to say that, Ya Allah, I want to be the person that when others look at, they're inspired to good. They're inspired to you. That they see me as an example, as a proof of the truth on this earth for generations to come. Imagine that powerful ambition. So Allah says, who wants this? And indeed Allah employs people on this earth to become the carriers and the vessels of his plan on this earth. So he says at the end of Surah Muhammad, if you don't join this cause, what will he do? If you're not interested, who loses? Not Allah, not the faith, not the cause. The cause will carry on unless it offering others are worthy of it. Don't worry. If you try to check out, check out. It's okay. If you don't want to give, it's fine. I'll bring others who get. You don't want to obey, that's why I'll bring others who obey who are honored by this incredible uh, impact of Allah and such. Surah Al-Fatih now, so Surah Muhammad emphasizes obey Rasulullah and be, feel the honor of being belonging in this cause, right? And for Allah to use you. And if you do it, Allah will do wonders with you. Surah Al-Fatih comes to show us what happens if you really, really obey Rasulullah If you show that discipline through life examples. He's going to show Rasulullah and the believers what real conquest, what real victory looks like. So he's going to show them, first of all, how he changed them when they obeyed Rasulullah How he made Prosperity, success happen at their hands. Actually, because now there are a lot of examples he can show them. It's not just a glad tiding, oh, I'm going to give you victory. He's going to show them what victory looks like. But what this surah will do is something very extraordinary. It's going to take the human definition of success and flip it on its head. Take the human definition of success and flip it on its head to inject a divine definition success. You and I, again, put aside faith as human beings, how would, you, how would we define success? We define success, again, as we stated earlier, as acquiring what people agree to be symbols or, or, or indicators of prosperity and, and achievement. Isn't it true? Get a degree, successful, right? Um, you know, ascend in, in, on that ladder of you know, professional success in your career, and you're successful, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I mean, these are typical standards of success that we adopt in society, cultural, and of course, there are differences here and there. But by and large, that's what we aspire to. One things that we can sense and feel right away. And oftentimes, human beings are busy with quick gratification. They want things now, right? And the, the ones who have the longer breath, are able to enjoy more things, but nonetheless, we're still grasped by the same larger goals of life. That next um, milestone that I'll need to reach or hit, to feel worthy. Allah's gonna take that definition and flip it on its head. Let me give you the context of why Allah calls the Surah Fatih. So what is it called? This is an extraordinary surah. It was revealed one shot to Rasulullah Revealed one time. This is a surah about which Rasulullah says, this surah, is, when it was revealed to me, was better for me than everything in creation. There's nothing better I could have heard from Allah. That's it. the impact of the surah on his life. Because of all the beauties in it, all the mercies in it, 
all the beautiful, incredible meanings it manifested to him, how it showed him, right, what Allah has done with him and the believers that followed him. He was just stunned because he didn't know. He didn't know. The way we read life is different than how Allah reads it, right? And that's why we need to surrender to Allah's judgment and, and just trust in His plan and His wise plan as He manifests things in our lives. So the context is as follows. Remember there in Medina, we went through battle of Badr, battle of Uhud. Then what's the next major battle that happened? Right, the major one when they were surrounded? Khandaq, right? The, the trench, the battle of the trench. You see, the Meccans are not leaving the mountains. They formed a confederacy, very large confederacy. They want to assemble this massive army, reach out to the tribes to go after the community of the believers of Egypt, to take them out. And there was a promise delivered by the Meccans, Quraysh, to the tribes. We're going to you know, just join us. We're, we're, we need to crush this, this community who are threatening the status quo, the economic, political, um, apparatus and reality of Arabia. Nobody wants that. Just make sure because the authority in Arabia is Meccans and Quraysh, and nobody wants not to be aligned with that. Everybody wants to be aligned with the, with the superpower of the time. And that was a superpower. So it was in the interest of the tribes, and but they got a promise. If you join us, you're going to get this booty, right? And we'll get rid of the, these Muslims, but join us. Make sure you do. And they joined them on a promise. It's going to be an easy ride. We're going to overwhelm them with numbers, 10,000. Well, we're just trying to see what happens. They reach Medina. And also, as I said, they were surrounded. They were about to literally be taken out, wiped out. Because they didn't have the physical resources to match up with 10,000. So what did they do? The consultation happened. Rasulullah said, oh, is this shura? And, you know, Salman al-Farisi, a Persian, Sahabi, Suggested the idea of the trench. They get up a trench. We can't fend them off. So let's protect the city by digging up a trench. Why trench? So the, 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 the Confederate forces come to Medina and they find this trench and they're stunned. They've never seen anything like this in their lives. They're not used to it. In Arab warfare, they've never seen trenches. Right? This is barred from another civilization, different land. So they couldn't cross it. There were modern skirmishes, so what they said was, we'll camp, camp out for as long as needed. It's only a matter of time before what? You run out of resources. We'll camp out. They waited weeks. What they didn't know is that Allah has what? Soldiers from the heavens. Allah fortified the believers inside, strengthened them. Minor skirmishes happened here and there. Then Allah sent the storm upon them, indeed. Uprooted their tents. Weeks later, sent cold upon them and they couldn't penetrate the city, right? There was some betrayal that have happened from inside. They took care of it. But the outcome, the big outcome, is that Quraysh and the tribes had to pull back, run for their lives. When they saw the rain and the storms and the wind, they were completely demoralized. demoralized. And they had to kind of drag the Tales of defeat and humiliation. Now I want to ask you, you're the big bully, right? In the neighborhood, and you're like, hey, you know, you collect the thugs and like, let's go get the grief, right? Let's go get it. Like, giving me a hard time. It's like finding my status and my reputation in the area. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go have the cream. Like he's easy prey. 
We show up and leave. We couldn't even get to the door to see Abdul Karim, right? And everyone's like, hey, what's going on here, right? We've been waiting for a week. And then at the end, something happens and like, uh, you know, hail starts falling on our heads and we just start running away. What happens to everybody else that joined me and my cause? They turn on me, right? It's like, didn't you tell us that we're gonna have a fight, right? We're gonna take out the cream, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why I'm picking up that. Right? But you didn't see Abdul Kareem, right? After all that excitement and passion and the promise of the booty from Abdul Kareem is jacket, right? We needed this and this, yeah. All this stuff you promised us from the guy, and then at the end, nothing? Nothing. So they're very angry with whom? Much. The Confederate forces were extremely angry. False promises. Now, was it easy for them to drag their armies to Medina? It was not easy. That's a major operation. Costs money, resources, time. It takes weeks to go there and then to camp. Can you imagine the exhaustion? The, the costs of war? For a war not to happen and not to get anything back. So you can imagine now the emotions in Arabia. Nobody is happy with Quraysh. Quraysh goes back six months later. Six months later. This is the context of this surah. Rasulullah has a dream. And the dreams of the prophets are real. Right? Reality manifesting in a dream. Direct messages from Allah for things that are going to happen. He sees a dream. And in the dream, he sees himself with the believers of Medina going to Mecca to perform on the Unarmed, peacefully entering Mecca. <clears throat> Wakes up, right away understands it's a message from Allah. It's gonna happen. He tells the believers, the Muslimin of Mecca, I had a dream. Everybody understood right away. Oh, what? Dreams are real for a prophet. You saw it going to Mecca six months later after what? The Battle of the Confederates. We're about to be wiped out. Who is their number one threat? Quraysh. Where does Quraysh reside? Mecca. You had a dream in which you saw us going to where? Mecca. To perform Umrah. Unarmed, unscathed. Is that logical? We're just about to be wiped out, destroyed completely if it wasn't for the trench and the mercy of Allah Azza. And you're telling us now we're going to go out a few weeks later, take a trip to uh, Mecca, and just roll right into the lion's den. And nothing is going to happen. What does he say? That's the dream. So guess what they do? When? None of them question the dreams. No one. No one says, no way. Well, a pocket of people did. Like, when I feel what I always did. The hypocrites are always there, right? Like, there's no chance that this group will survive, they said. So they automatically made the excuses not to leave Medina. Few, pocket of people. No, no, no. We're busy with our people, with our families, jobs, children. Rasulullah knew right away that these are the weak amongst them, or the hypocrites, or concerned about their own lives because they saw no chance of survival. The rest, Rasulullah took 1,400 people. 1,400 people. Imagine. Right away, six months after the battle of the Confederates, stood up with Rasulullah, prepared for that Hajj, right? 
put on their ihram clothes. And I want you to think about your preparation for Umrah and Ihram and the excitement and the zeal. Now, in this case, it's not just we're going to roll back, you know, roll right into Mecca, right? In these days, no problem whatsoever. I can imagine, like, they're inside people, the greatest superpower, that they're just waiting for me to kill me. And I have nothing but trust in Allah Rasulullah. Unarmed, put on their ihram, and Rasulullah was so confident, he told them, take clearly what is needed for the journey of the pilgrimage, which is what? You take what with you? Well, there's no animals there. Well, they're not just going to give them animals. You don't just go with a certificate right now, right now somebody takes care of you. You actually take your own sheep. They take their own sheep on this very long journey of 400 some kilometers. Walking, but this is traveling a few camels only, traveling by foot. With sat now, ihram, what are they wearing on their, on their feet? Leather boots? Nike sneakers? No. What are they wearing? Very old sandals. Very, very old sandals. Can you imagine in, in if you walk on rocks for a long time? They get worn out in no time. And they endured that several week travel in the heat of the desert of Arabia. No arms, no swords, nothing. Trust in Allah. Allah delivered that dream for us Muslims, right? And we followed our leader all the way to all the way to Mecca with their sheep, with them, ready for the whole execution of the rituals of the pilgrimage, and they had no doubt in their heads that there is going to happen. Because of the promise of Allah. Who gets the news? Clearly, I mean, the scouts are out there. Quraysh, can you imagine the reaction of Quraysh? Can you imagine they're sitting down, the chiefs are there, like, suddenly somebody comes in, it's like, guess who's coming? They're like, Muslims. Like, what? We just camped out of their city a few weeks ago to crush them with 10,000. Now they're coming, and what are they coming to do? They're like, yeah, they're coming for a reaction. Unarmed. With their sheep with them. Can you imagine the reaction in their heads? Like, confounding probably. Like, what, what, what are we dealing with here, right? Quraysh understood right they cannot afford to love them. First of all, they, by the way, they went in the month of Belkana. There is a code of uh, honor in Arabia. You gotta honor. Quraysh was respected as an authority. Why? Because they maintained the house. And the pilgrimage for the pilgrims. And the tribes of Arabia kept their idols there. So it was the job and the duty of Quraysh to maintain the service of the house and the service of the pilgrims. It was one of the greatest honors, and everybody upheld that honor, that code. But in return, nobody is ever to harm who? A pilgrim, when they come and perform a pilgrimage, especially in the months of Hurum. Where there's no one fighting whatsoever. Bil is one of them. Don't you fight there, don't you harm anyone there. Code of conduct. <coughs> so Quraysh understood, it's like, we can't. If they come in, first of all, imagine if we let them in, what does that do to their prestige? It's horrible. Like, we just lined up with these tribes to kill the Muslims, destroy Medina. They, they, they're, they're hating on us right now because we, we, we didn't deliver on the promise. Suddenly, the Arabians are going to hear that the Muslims just rolled into Mecca and welcomed them and we, they did Hajj. 
What does that do to the reputation and the honor and the prestige of Quraysh? It kills it. It shows that nobody can mess with this, this community of people. They must have strength and it'll add injury to the insult to the injury of Quraysh. So they understood right away the political implications of letting Rasulullah and Muslims into Mecca to perform the pilgrimage. It couldn't happen. So they sent the battalion out of Adam. It was like unthinkable for them to do otherwise. They sent the battalion to actually kill Rasulullah and stop the, 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 the caravan before it hits Mecca. Because they couldn't attack them in Mecca, right? Why? Again, because of the code of conduct. You cannot attack pilgrims. So they had to attack them outside. Rasulullah heard of this, changed his way. They changed the path. And remember in Badr, Rasulullah went out with the believers. They didn't seek war, did they? He just wanted to arrest the caravan of Abu Sufyan. But Allah willed for them to meet Quraysh and Dua. Fight. See, the plan of Allah is always different. Most of the time is different than what we think. They wanted to get a little booty before battle. These, the Rasulullah sent out, sent out this, you know, he went by a battalion to just intercept a caravan coming from the north to recover some of the things they've lost in, in Mecca. Allah changed the direction of, the, of both caravans to meet in the valley of Badr for a fight to actually happen. Allah says, you didn't come out to fight, but I prepared you for a fight. You know why? That was the means for them to gain status and authority in Mecca. And through that sacrifice, they gained a lot. They didn't plan on it. See, Allah's plans are always different, and it's always for the human being to actually gain and grow. We don't know what it involves. What do I give the least? In this case, they also went out not seeking war. Not seeking any of that, but it was Quraysh that wanted the war. But Allah is now going to manifest things differently. No one knew. So in Badr, it ended up being a fight. Here, what's going to happen? Let's, subhanAllah, wait and see what happens. Allah describes it in a surah called Al-Fatih, the conquest, the victory. So what happens next is what Allah defines to be a victory. It's not what we think. It's not better. You know, this surah didn't come after Badr. Didn't come after Uhud. Didn't even come after Khandaq. None of these major battles in which at least two of them major victories have happened, but yet no sort of called the conquest had or got revealed after these events. Did it also get revealed after the conquest of Mecca? Isn't that called conquest? Shouldn't it be like the time to reveal that surah? Nope. It came right after what happens next. What happens next? Rasulullah now they have to take another route. It was a very hard route. But sisters, the rocks they were walking on, they were like burnt. And they're walking on sandals. Can you imagine? You know, with sandals on their feet. They got so torn out, their, their, their feet got injured. They were bleeding. Until they reach an area with a bent over tree. Ahdab in Arabic is bent over, called Hudaybiyah. Dry valley. And they camped there. Because they understood there was a battalion out to, to attack them. And they didn't want, you know, uh, a war or fight. They're not even equipped to fight a war, right? They camp there. The battalion reaches. Rasulullah sends Uthman ibn Affan as an emissary 
to negotiate with them and say, listen, we mean no harm. We're just coming in as the rest of the pilgrims in Arabia just perform the pilgrimage. It's our right. It's a code of honor. It's a code of conduct. It's a contract. Let us in, and then we'll leave in peace. So Uthman Rahman goes to negotiate. Time passes. Clearly, they don't want to negotiate. Quraysh does not want to lock them in. That's forbidden completely. So they, it, it turns out that they, what happened was that they restrained Uthman for a while. Rumors spread. The story reaches of Sallallahu a little bit different. And the story says that they killed Uthman. So by the time the story reached Rasulullah it had them believe that actually Uthman got killed. Now what happens to the Muslims when they heard the news of Uthman? He's a very known companion. Who kills an emissary? So they went in with this emotion of zeal, excitement, to perform the pilgrimage, like go back home, remember, that is their home. Suddenly, you camp it outside, you're under the threat of being attacked, and suddenly you hear one of your best friends has been killed by the enemy. How do you feel? Like, can you imagine the, the, the anger, the rage, the sadness? They're overwhelmed by the news. Rasul Sassim got so alarmed. And of course, I mean, Uthman was one of his closest companions. He was struck with grief, but also a sense of uh, a realization of what's coming. If they kill Uthman, they're going to come and kill all of us. And this is a time I need men. Right? I need men. So Rasulullah summoned all the believers. Summoned all of them to come and they all gathered. And I'm not talking about 10 or 20. Over a thousand people gathered around Rasulullah and he shared the news with them. Everybody was like in shock. And he said, asked them, he said, are you ready to fight? Not only in revenge for Uthman, but also for your own lives because what happened is unacceptable, right? And this is a time to stand up. They called Uthman, everybody right away, without thinking twice, extended their hands to Rasulullah, making a pledge called Pledge to Rasulullah, he asked them not to flee. We need everyone here. They have nothing but only pocket knives, right? And said, we're going to go fight. Because they cannot get away. We didn't come for that. But now this is a stance of honor, right? Stance of honor with our own bodies. And none is to flee. Who is ready to make the pledge? Every single one of them accepted their hands. And they made that pledge to Rasulullah to sacrifice their own lives for that stance when they were about to be wiped out. So this was declared as Bayrah one. The translation of it is the pledge or the allegiance of good pleasures. <coughs> One is good pleasures. Pleasure of who? Allah. What Allah declares in this surah, this is now, He's telling Rasulullah in this surah, and to all the believers, you taking that pledge right there and then, before anything else happens. You deciding to commit to Allah and remember, obey Allah and Rasulullah without thinking about your losses, the immediate duty. None of that mattered at the time. Just because you did that, you pledged, you're willing to sacrifice, you're being faithful and loyal, that's called what? Fatah. That is the opening. Because that's going to be the key to what? The greater things that are going to come next. 
if these things are not going to take place, you guys are not sticking together as brothers, as sisters, right? Committed to Allah, Rasulullah, willing to sacrifice, remember Muhammad? Willing to stand up when you need, you need courage, you need to be cool, you need to be dignified, right? It's not easy, but now you're displaying it. That is the beginning. That's laying the foundation now for the greater things to happen later. That's why Allah called it Fatah. Much more important than political conquest, much more important than land conquest. It's not how Allah measures things. It's not how Allah defines success. So he's telling Rasulullah, this is not the beginning. And that's why it earned the pleasure of Allah. Just that act, when they stood there, Allah knew what, knew what, what was in their hearts. Fast forward, they're ready now. Quraysh hears this, and guess what? SubhanAllah, Allah now, he's the molder of the hearts. We don't know the work of Allah. They had no arms, nothing. Quraysh had all the arms. They were protected in their own city. And guess who was terrified? Quraysh was terrified. The news reached them now that the Rasulullah were ready to attack with their own bodies. And they're like, oh no, right? Stop them. Don't let that. They're terrified of people coming with their own bodies. Talk about how Allah when he strikes fear into the heart of someone, there's nothing that can be done about it. So they will say, no, let's, let's negotiate, let's negotiate, right? Send assurances to Rasulullah, no, 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 here's Uthman, send Uthman back, right? And the believers said, let's have Uthman, and they're like, so confident. So it's already a victory, right? And then now they calm down again, and there is this hope that they can do what? Exactly, the pilgrimage. So the negotiations resumed. After the, the tempers calmed down, but I got terrified, they're like, okay, we'll sit on the table and negotiate. They sat with Rasulullah, they met with them and they negotiate to negotiate an agreement. What are we gonna do? What's on the mind of Quraysh is like like a little child, it's like a little child's mind. All I care about is like, you're not gonna come in. You're not gonna come in. Right? That's all they cared about. So they started negotiating terms. Come in, not come in. Rasulullah clearly wanted to come in. He said, no, you're not going to come in. That one thing that cannot happen. So Rasulullah is inspired by Allah. Does he think short term? <coughs> Long term. It's a divine plan of Allah. I'm not going to be busy thinking about this little cup. That's what you want? I'll give it to you. Because he's thinking of what? The well of water. Do you want to take the cup? Take it. Go ahead. But I have the wall of water. Rasulullah was so strict. He's like the adult and they're the fools. The fools, all they care about is like, yeah, yeah, you're not going to come in. Rasulullah said to them, in the hearing, sure. We will not do the pilgrimage. They were like, they thought what? Achieve victory. When they didn't understand, Quraysh signed their Achilles heel, their own destruction in that agreement. In that treaty, treaty it's called the Treaty of Halimi, they signed, they sealed their own. Without, without letting Rasulullah and, and the Muslims perform the pilgrimage, but they still signed their own death sentence. Can you imagine? And they got happy about it. Had no idea. Plan of Allah. What was the terms of the agreement? Rasulullah agreed with them, okay, for the next 10 years there will be no fighting. Remember, Quraysh was terrified. They were not successful, right? Muslims were gaining authority. And they're just intimidated by faith because they're on falsehood. 
Hearts that are unfalsome, but this is terrifying. You notice people who commit corruption on earth, they're always terrified. Of even a story of truth about what's happening, look at persecution. You notice, for uh, example, governments that are, that are committing, uh, committing atrocities and um, heinous human rights violations are always concerned about the media talking about what happened. They go out of their way to silence everyone. A mere critic, critic, just a little tiny critic who comes and just says, oh, such and such thing happened, they arrest and kill them, torture them, finish them off, to silence everyone. They can't tolerate the mention of what happened to it because they, because they know that it's like, it shakes you from inside. They know they're flimsy, they don't have foundation, right? So similar, similar case with, with Quraysh. So Rasulullah said 10 years. They're terrified. They wanted like no war. It's like, yeah, 10 years, no war. They didn't understand the implications of that. Next, he said, they said, okay, what if people join you from our side? Like, let's say somebody from Mecca decides to join the Muslims, and somebody from the Muslims decides to go back and join the Meccans. What do we do then? Rasulullah, by the way, was leading this discussion. He's like, okay, if somebody comes from Mecca to join the believers, we'll send it back. What did the Mecca say? Whoa, wow, right? There were things that like they're gaining everything in that agreement. And Rasulullah says, to give you even more, if somebody from our side comes to your side, keep them. The, the Quraysh thought what? Victory? It's like, whoa, we gain more. They lose, right? Rasulullah said, well, can we, now we can, you're not gonna come for a pilgrimage this year, but we, we need to come when? And we're, Quraysh thinking, like, we gained all of that, like, sure, next year's next year, we'll worry about next year, right? Then when they sealed the agreement, it said, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, min Muhammad Rasulullah. Bismillah, the name of Allah, the compassion, the merciful from Muhammad, the message of Allah. Quraysh did what? No. It's like little kids. I want my candy. They get stuck on word. Like, you're not going to write, message of Allah. What does Rasulullah SAW says? Tear the agreement apart. You know what the Sahaba did? What? No message. They got worked up. They're like about to rip the agreement apart because they love who? Well, because of that. That's because of devotion and love, not because of their own ego. It's the intense love of Rasulullah SAW. So that's an honorable thing, actually. What did Rasulullah tell them? Take out Rasulullah. What do you want to write? They said Muhammad. He said, put Muhammad. He's thinking, well, think things. I'm not going to be losing myself over what? A word. How often does that happen to us? Somebody didn't call for the right title. God forbid, God forbid. Right? Right? Something is like, ah, oh, my honor, my dignity. Right? Being strategic and thoughtful, patient, because you're thinking long term, not short term. That's Rasulullah And he has divine inspiration. This agreement, brothers and sisters, when it was concluded, here's what happens next. Rasulullah goes back. Many of them do not know about the terms of the agreement. He shares the terms of the agreement. What happens to the 1400 who are about to now go into Mecca, fight till death over the death of Uthman? Going from that emotion to now, 
possibility of going into Mecca for the pilgrimage, having traveled for several weeks, feet injured, taking their sheep, and suddenly Rasulullah says, let's go back. What do you think the reaction is? What? All that? Go back, right? I mean, we're about to just lose our lives. We came all the way, all that sacrifice. Didn't you have a dream, right? Right? So Rasulullah commanded them, he said, slaughter your sheep right now. Because you brought the sheep, we couldn't get in, Allah will reward you for the pilgrimage. But you got to do what you can do, which is what? I cannot go circumambulate the Kaaba, but what can I do? Slaughter the sheep and sheep. Shave your head. He commanded them. How many people did it? Zero. They refused. Look, there is a psychological barrier. They were so dejected, so like demoralized by the news, they were in shock. They couldn't, the point where they couldn't even listen to Rasulullah and they disobeyed in that moment. Not deliberately, they're in shock. They wouldn't. None of them would shake their heads, they're refusing to admit it. Like there's a denial, and they're just angry. Can you imagine a mob of 1,400 people, a good mob here, right? Totally enraged, upset with you as a upset with the circumstances, <coughs> rushing even your judgment as a leader. What do you do? Even Rasulullah my sisters, was like, what do I do here? I wasn't sure. How do I? These are my followers, and they're not listening to me. I mean, he's the goddess of Allah in that moment, right? But he was shaken by it. He goes back to who? Consult with his wife. His wife was always his wife, one of the wives who always joins him in, in these journeys. He goes, it was Um Salama. situation. Wow, what's happening? Talk about it, that's right. Severe superstitious trials of life reveal the metal of people and allow us to grow and learn. Right? And here's what Allah defining victory. He said, Oh Salama, what do I do? He says, Rasulullah, don't worry. Don't worry, you will listen. Go back and don't say a word. Do not say a word. Right? And then you yourself, in front of everybody, shake your hands. And in front of everybody, take your sheep. Don't ask them. Slaughter your sheep. That's it. And watch what will happen. He listened to Um Salama, right? Went back, did exactly what she said. Everyone, when they saw Rasulullah shaving his head, slaughtering his sheep, what did they do? All of them rushed to shave their heads, shaving each other's heads, right away, all of them, 1400. And everybody slaughtered their sheep. Rasulullah says, let the caravan and everybody follow, going back to Medina. Not a word said. Right? Here's what happens next. So first of all, Umar ibn al-Khattab, goes to Rasulullah It's like, Rasulullah, go back. It's like, yep, I'm going back. What, how? Didn't you tell me that you had a dream? And in the dream we said that we're going to go into Mecca, do the pilgrimage. He's like, yep, I told you. He said, then what? He said, did I tell you this year? He said, apparently not. 
So they never said this year. Promise of Allah, it will happen. Be patient. Then he said to him, the surah got revealed. Right there. So Rasulullah recited the surah to Allah. We open for you the liberty a great conquest. Omar is like, we just left Mecca. Where is the conquest? Where is it? He said, Rasulullah, is it? Is it a conquest? He said, it is. But how? They just left. What they did, and here's in a nutshell, what happens in that agreement is the Achilles heel of Quraysh. Ten years of no war, and you can now go Rome and Arabia, form alliances as you wish. You can preach Islam, you can proclaim it. Quraysh cannot touch you, nor their allies. They used to buy their lookout to harm them everywhere in Arabia. They couldn't just uh, campaign in Arabia saying, hey, you want to know about Islam? They couldn't do that. Now you have 10 years to what? Go Rome and they cannot touch you. The fools of Quraysh didn't know that. They didn't think because all they thought about is, did he say Rasulullah in the agreement? Right? Allah blinded them. They couldn't even think strategically for their own benefit. Rasulullah So now in the next two years, the numbers of the Muslims more than doubled. Rapid spread of Islam in Arabia because Rasulullah started sending emissaries and forming alliances with tribes. So what's happening in the numbers of the Muslims? Growing, 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 growing. And what's happening in the numbers of uh, the allies of Quraysh? Shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Two years. Two years, only two years. And, and not only this now, when you sign an agreement with your enemy that you call terrorist yesterday, what does that say? They're calling them names, they're calling them criminals, they're calling them this, suddenly you sign an agreement. What does that say about them politically? You recognize them as a political entity. So it gave prestige to the Medinans. You recognize Quraysh signed an agreement with us. And they're at war with us for 10 years. Can you imagine the reputation of Prophet Muhammad? Who remember? Few months earlier, the tribes came to take out Medina. Suddenly, they were signing. They signed an agreement with these fool hypocrites of Quraysh. Right? They wanted us to kill them. Now they're signing agreements, being terrified of them. That shows like, whoa, these must be like, wow, I wish I can align with them. They're gaining power. Right? So prestige. Ability to roam in Arabia, spread the message. Numbers are are growing. Quraysh is shrinking. Now, Rasulullah thought, okay, if, yeah, there's that term where if somebody joins from Mecca, we send them back. Did Rasulullah care if the believers didn't leave Mecca? Even better, stay in Mecca, right? Because we want the numbers to grow where? Inside, right? So that's actually a hope. It's not an unfavorable term. And if somebody from our side, from their side, join, no, no. If somebody from our side decides to join them, is that likely? How likely is it that somebody um, leaves the camp of Rasulullah and to go back and join Quraysh? Zero chance. He's like, take them. 
None of the terms worked in the favor of Quraysh. In fact, as I said, they sealed their own death sentence two years. And now on top of this, somebody foolish from the from the allies of Quraysh wins and kills goes and kills who launches an attack on one of the allies of Rasulullah and they violate the agreement and they spill blood. So the agreement is what? Now, it already achieved two years of what? Growth, political conquests of Arabia. So now they've gained a lot more power. And exactly in two years, what happens next? They violate the agreement. So Rasulullah is saying what now? Oops, you're in trouble. Agreement is not. So he can do what now? I'm just going to roll into Mecca, right? And nobody's going to touch us. And can anybody now say no? Fath Mecca, Congress of Mecca happened exactly that time, sisters. And when the Muslims entered Mecca 10,000, did anybody even raise a sword? Not a single, subhanAllah, drop of blood was spilled. So Allah says in this surah, the conquest didn't happen then. The conquest happened where? That's really the nutshell of the surah. The conquest is not about political victories, gain of spoils, conquest of lands. It was a conquest of what? The hearts. It was in that moment when under the tree, they had such faith, devotion to Rasulullah that they wanted to put their lives on the line. They wanted to sacrifice willing to obey, they were so disciplined and Allah put in their hearts tranquility and serenity in times of rage, which is very hard to do, isn't it? Most of our problems occur because of rage, acting on emotions and whims, and being busy with the short gains, and Allah says, you're gonna lose. Every single time you think that way. When you're steadfast and you're patient in the middle of the storm, and by the way, that peace, you know when somebody's angering you all the time? Meeting is happening and nonsense opinions are being given. Suddenly, oh, you feel in, you see insights and you find this common dignity, or you stand up courageously to state something in defense of someone. Well, where did that come from? Allah. That was a gift of Allah to you in the middle of the storm to calm your heart. Because victories can be achieved with cool courage, cool, calm courage. Not rash. Oh, let's go get out. Be right. It doesn't happen that way. All talk, slogans, steadfast, effort, work diligently, listen, obey. This is no question. Why? When the leader says something, after Shura, follow. Long term, being strategic, not busy with short term things and being angry. Allah calmed them down. Imagine the emotions they went to from excitement. To revenge, Allah calmed them down. Then He said to Rasulullah, For me to bring the 1400 hearts to you in that time, time when they wanted to just run away. That is what? Fatham? That's conquest. How many of us think winning hearts and souls? Unity? Brotherhood, ta'lif. Ta'lif is like to harmonize hearts and to be merciful with each other, discipline, and just. Surrender to Allah. Now trust the judgment of Allah and Rasulullah and the leader, right? It will be vindicated. And Allah shows them within months you conquered all of Arabia. Without what? No 
people were losing their lives. So Allah restrained them even, subhanAllah, restrained the arms of Quraysh and the Muslims from killing each other. Allah says, I saved you actually. Without even a war now, you actually conquered. Because it started where? Here. So Allah's calculation, see how Allah's calculations, he ended up saving their lives. But also whose lives? There were Muslims in Mecca that nobody knew about. What if war happened and they went and attacked Mecca unarmed? They might have killed who? Muslims inside. Now imagine if you discover this, like, oh God, you're Muslims. How can you live with that? Allah says, the guilt, you have a little crushed. I saved you from that. That was the work of Allah. Allah's name is what? That is related to the, to the title of the surah. Allah is the opener of the doors. All doors. And he opens doors out of places he expect. In extraordinary ways, it's like the floodgates. Allah says, so long as you follow this prescription, divine prescription, it starts where? Here. So when we work with others, Allah is saying, are you paying attention to the hearts or are you just with, oh, who's with me? Who's with me? It doesn't work that way. Hearts are more important. And when they're with you, Allah delivers the conquest, the openings, but it starts with opening hearts. That's the miracle of Allah. To open hearts, to soften them in times of rage, to open them to enlightenment and so forth. So I'm not gonna, let me take just five minutes. Pretty much summed it up in this commentary, but I'll, I'll comment on a couple of verses, inshallah. The surah itself begins with inna, it begins with the, it begins with the declaration who indeed delivered you a manifest conquest and victory. Verse number one, can you imagine again when he heard it, after he signed the treaty, he's like, what? That was a manifest victory? He saw it right away. Allah says, yeah, no, no. This is manifest victory. Then he says in verse two, You know what's more important? Than conquering Mecca, than the pilgrimage, what? That Allah forgives your sins. So you were talking to me last time in the last surah. Allah's forgiveness is more important than anything else. Now, with Allah says, for me to forgive you is much more important than anything else. Because you're dealing with Allah. He says, I have opened for you, for me to forgive you and to complete my favor upon you and to God. Not hard for it to find Allah, to be forgiven, to be humbled, to be steadfast, to be guided by Allah, is the victory. Then Allah says, and then for Allah to deliver a really powerful victory to you, but it's going to come what? later. And then he says, it is he, look at now, he comments on victory. And in verse 4, he says, it is he who bestowed tranquility upon the hearts of the believers, to increase their faith, and to Allah belongs the soldiers of the heavens and the earth. Just in Allah. Allah will soften hearts for you. For Allah to have calmed down these hearts in that time was a miracle of Allah at the hands of Rasulullah. And for Rasulullah to witness this, Allah just surrendered the hearts of 1400 men to me at a time when they shouldn't have done that. Miracle of Allah. That is, okay, brothers and sisters. But that's the work of Allah and there's faith. When there's faith, by the way, sincerity, Allah brings hearts together. The greatest gift of Allah. The hearts to calm down, love each other, 
inclined towards one another, then Allah Azza continues on by, you know, war, you know, talking about the hypocrites and their behaviors and how they refuse to leave Medina, thinking they gained. They lost. You know, the hypocrites of Medina they didn't join the caravan. You know, you know what they thought? They thought the beliefs will never come back. Why? They thought they're going to be killed. <clears throat> they came back victorious. Without even entering Mecca. So who lost? The people who thought gain, short-term gain, ego, selfishness, all of them lost. Now Allah is going to just comment on a couple of verses and wrap it. Verse 19. Allah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَيَّعُونَكَ Here is a victory. Allah says further, now the people who pledged, Allah says, Allah has indeed delivered his pleasure with pleasure upon the believers who pledged to you under the tree. He knew what was in their hearts. So he delivered, bestowed, again, the concept of tranquility upon them. But on top of this, they already gained. If your heart is with Allah, you're calm and disciplined, patient and restrained. That's victory. But then Allah says, I'll give you the short-term one that you wanted, which is what? Conquest of Mecca. It'll end But that's not even the great one. The great one has already happened. Make sense? That's later stuff. It'll have to worry. That'll come. That'll come. Like Provision will come. Don't worry. Let's do your part. I'll, I'll astonish you. So Allah says, I'm not going to deprive you. I'll give you these human things that you want. Right? The conquest of Mecca, it'll happen. It's natural. It's going to have to happen. But that's the, the icing on the cake. The cake has already been delivered. It's in your heart. Make sense? And then Allah says in verse 21, Allah promised you spoils. He'll give you short-term ones and long-term ones. Don't worry. Allah will give you so long as you fulfill those conditions. Then Allah Azza wa Jal verse 28, we'll wrap up with these two verses, Allah says, Allah's promise. He sent Rasulullah with the guidance and the religion of truth for it to be preeminent and dominant over every other way. It's it. Promise of Allah. And then Allah says, sufficient is Allah's witness. It will happen and you'll witness it. But now, does it have to happen in our time frame? Yeah. Did Rasulullah, by the way, see anything beyond Arabia being conquered, being opened? He didn't. So this problem with having to require, like asking Allah, demanding of Allah to show us everything in this life is very short-sighted. And this is the point. And it will never happen anymore. Allah never promised Jannah here. Never promise that everything you work for is going to be seen by you. But it doesn't have to be seen here. It has to be. It's with Allah already. Allah says it's already set roots. The trees shall come out. Promise of Allah. Your concern shouldn't be with whether I see it. The concern should be, do I trust Allah that it's already happened? I don't have to see it. It's with Allah. So Allah wraps up the surah in this way. What does Allah begin the surah with? We deliver for you a manifest great, great victory comes. Then he told us it's three really hearts. So the end of the surah wraps up the picture by picture. 
wraps up the Surah, the meaning with a picture of really the manifestation of conquest. And it will not be talking about Mecca. It will not be talking about Kufar being back It will talk about the believers themselves as the manifestation of that conquest. It's like counterintuitive. So Allah says, Muhammadun Rasulullah, verse 29, full verse. Incredible, very touching. And then Allah says, So let me translate it. Long verse. I want to recite the whole thing. There's no time. Allah says, Muhammad. Remember Surah Muhammad? Here's Muhammad be mentioned, stated as the essence of everything. Muhammad, Rasulullah. Remember they refused to sign his name? Didn't matter. Here is Allah putting it seal on the, the sort of Rasulullah. Whether you like it or not, then you're going to have to say it, you, too, you too. And they all submitted to it. Abu Sufyan became Muslim. Everybody became Muslim because their hearts were conquered. Remember Mecca? Conquered hearts. Almost over. It's a minute. Willingly. Without, a, as I said, blood. It's, you know, a drop of blood being spilled. So Allah says, Muhammad is Rasulullah. And those with him, he describes him with praise. The, the, the signs of this conquest are the believers, he says about them. Actually, they're very courageous and firm. They stand up for truth. They're not meek, they're not weak. When time is right, they stand up for their rights and they defend themselves and they're intense. But with who? With the enemy. But with each other, how are they? Oh, so soft and compassionate. Then Allah says, here's their condition. Here's their condition. He says, in their private times, these are not people thinking about lavish life, image, none of this stuff. He said, they're so humble, you'll find them constantly in a state of humility, which is what? What's the posture of humility? Frustration. So how are they, they going to be walking arrogantly on this earth? In their private chambers, constantly to Allah in utter humiliation and devotion, in utter humility and devotion to Allah Azza wa Jalla. And Allah knows their hearts, humble hearts, no ego, no desire for show in this life. That none of none of the booty life matters to them. Then he says, Yabdahun, in their hearts they had a desire. What is their desire? Pleasure of Allah, bounty of Allah, and bounty of Allah and his pleasure. The most important thing is the pleasure of Allah to them. Then he says, because their hearts are so sound and beautiful and sincere, where does it show? Their faces face show the sign of humility and devotion to Allah. In the, you know, some people say, oh, might be the marks of prostration, bigger than that. It's the light of Allah. The light of Allah shows, faith shows on the face. It's a conduit window into the heart. So Allah's praising them. The conquest manifested in a human being is being praised by Allah. And he says, that is their similitude in the Torah. And their similitude or description in the Injil is like this. Then he gives us an image. He says, these believers are like that seed that was planted in the ground. Anybody think that seed is going to come true? Nobody gives it a chance. Even the tiller, I don't even know. I never know what it comes out to be. Allah says, I'm a fact that I'm going to astonish you. When it was firmly rooted, the, the, the seat open, that remember, that opens, open, 
as stem came out, penetrated out of this earth, it became strengthened, the trunk grew, grew, branches came out, right? Ears of corn came out, and then the fruit started to come out, and suddenly you see this massive tree of growth delivering goods and fruits around the clock. Started with the what? Little seed that nobody even knew about. <laughs> even the tiller might not have given it a chance. And he says, when it's grown up to be so strong and powerful, right? Even the ones that planted the seed are like what? Mesmerized. So he says, it fills the heart of the tiller with joy and delight and astonishment. But the ones that hated it are looking at it and they're like what? Rage. And by the way, that's a punishment. They cannot do anything. They cannot touch the tree. Because the tree is so overwhelming, Allah says, that's conquest. He took the people in Medina, they look like they're under the ground. They're about to be crushed. With the work of Allah and His mercy, with the work on the heart, they grew and grew and grew into this beautiful, incredible tree, right? Shedding its light and fruits and good. Nobody can even touch it. Everybody's just like mesmerized by it. The work of Allah is who opens doors out of places. <coughs> but most important is this door right here. And no one has the key to it except So alhamdulillah, let's just open the floor. Uh, that's like one of our favorite parts in the Quran. It's, it's, it's not only that the crops have grown during his time, but 1,400 years later, you know, the seed has grown into other trees all over the world. And you look at that and you're like, oh, what? It's you know? And, you know, sometimes, when we, well, lots of them go through our trials and tribulations through a lifetime. When you're in it, you can't see, like, like what, you can't see what's going to happen. And you just, and sometimes when everything passes, you just have to pause and reflect. And not just keep on going through life. Like pause and reflect, just look back, and you're like, subhanallah. You know? And that's just one of my favorite parts in the Quran. It's like, because you know, you see your kids growing and you like you see other people who faith grows, and uh, it's just beautiful. I love it. So no, I mean, beautiful point. Like look at the rapid, incredible growth beyond the power of small size. He didn't see it himself, right? Like, that's what's amazing too. The tree kept growing and multiplying. And and it's it's not just about number. Like sometimes we think we love numbers as Muslims, right? But it's beyond numbers, quality. There's a lot of good. Despite all, and you said it, it's very easy to be pessimistic and just kind of discouraging the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of trials and we're not in the best of conditions now. There's a lot of good that is happening. It's a lot of like look at even Alhamdulillah in our midst. Look at all the good that is happening, we could do a lot more. But there's always lessons to learn. Allah's bringing us back to the essential lessons. You do what Allah asks you to do. Inshallah, prosperity and success happens in our lives, and we'll witness it. So we have a way to go, right? Because the Prophet has expectations. And the obedience of Allah has to still happen, right? Of how we uphold the beauty, good, and truth in our lives. And we become now the example, the examples of good on this earth. Are we really manifesting the question clearly? Are we really manifesting the teachings that this sort of teaches, right? Or are we far from it? Sometimes when we're suffering certain things, Allah says it could be also you. 
that is the cause of it. So that's like an excellent, excellent point and a beautiful note to end on. Um, not for the session, but for the sewer. Um, so I kind of want to touch on this idea of compromise. <coughs> so I think most people recognize in their daily experience in their lives the idea the value of strategic compromise. Sometimes you have to give and take in certain things in order to achieve some sort of long-term goal. Now, I don't think I need to really delve on that. I think I think most people do under, understand grasp that concept. It's more of the issue of um, how much you compromise on, like establishing the red lines. So, like what I'm thinking of is like, for example, you don't establish you don't establish your compromise on the basis you don't replace truth on the basis of falsehood. You replace the truth with the truth. So, like for example, when the when the Quraysh told the Prophet to cross out Rasulullah, just put in Muhammad Muhammad Abdullah right? That's not a falsehood. It's not you know. He is technically Muhammad Abdullah, and even if even if they don't recognize he's Rasulullah, he is Rasulullah. It doesn't it doesn't change anything? Um, now, what would be a problem? Like if I made up a compromise right now, like let's say the Meccan said, "We will let you into Mecca. We will all convert to Islam. Uh, we'll let you spread your message everywhere. The only thing you have to do is every Juma you have to pray in front of an idol." Would, would you accept that? Obviously not. Or if they said, you know, after you have to accept that there might be a mess of prophet after you, right? Is the prophet going to accept that? You would think in the best terms in the world. Obviously not, right? And the point is that you have to, the, the reason I bring this up is you have to know and, and be willing to establish your red lines, right? And like you're not going to cross them, whether it be in theme or your principles or your values, because if you compromise over those lines, then it's not a compromise anymore. It's just called selling your principles and your dignity and your theme to a cheap price, you know, for whatever it might be, getting people to like you or, I don't know, some monetary value or political uh, uh, political power or whatnot. So, yeah. You know, I have to look at every aspect of this. The whole idea of strategic compromise. But one, when someone's principles are not clear, when it's actually um, trumped by desires, that's what's scary. Like, if I, you know, negotiating with you, but I'm all just fear of you, full of fear of you, and I think you owe my destiny, then that's my principle right at that moment. It's like, I'm going to cave. And you notice, like, political uh, agreements that are happening on Earth right now? It's all about, like, giving the, the upper, the one that would upper and everything. And because, like, people are weak. But also, like, subhanAllah, like, um, uh, people start giving up on what they claim to be essential truths and principles, and that's all it takes, giving up on one. Might as well not even get into any agreement if it's going to compromise anything about the truth, because that's a, that's a red line to Allah. And unfortunately, it happens all the time. Uh, people, in the name of compromise, they begin to compromise on truth. And etc. etc. But it's kind of complicated. Nothing is easy. Allah's not giving us. There are many areas of life that is ambiguous, which requires thought and seeking guidance from Allah to clarify to us what is truth and what is falsehood. That's all excellent. So there are lots of lessons to be learned from this event. Unbelievable lessons to be learned. That how you follow the leader. And when you have to argue, argue the leader, and how you 
negotiate the, the trade, how you negotiate your, your, your target. Because Habas, the 1400 people, they were laser focused on one thing to perform the Umrah. That's what they that's what their focus. And they didn't get it. But they were the the leader was understood and leader was looking at the bigger picture, what is coming forth, what's gonna happen eventually is what taking over the the Makkah, and then people can worship and ask for forgiveness. That was the whole thing that people can go for. So the lesson to be learned, you know, one other thing was interesting that when you are in frustration, consult your spouse. But what prophet did? He went into the the car Right. So every step there is a lesson to be learned in this event. I think that's what we want to say. So there are 50 things which you learn from this. If you, you know, dissect everything, what happened, how it happened. And the whole thing is that the sakina of the heart. So that's what you need to ask for Allah when you are in a difficulty, when you're going through something like that. That's the most important thing. And that's what Allah gave, gave it to them, the 1400. Otherwise, they would have been, you know, uh, they were going to the hardship in a way, and they were not being <coughs> happy with what's happening, apparently, apparently. But their leader was, their leader knew what he was doing, and they, were, they followed it. Excellent, excellent, really great, great points, but again, let's not forget the key. The surah that has the word Fatih is about Abdullah consulting his Remember, remember, right? Um, I mean, to me, is always the challenge is to have suffering, is to have patience. Because in these situations, you are like so excited and you are like, and suddenly you tell you wait one year or 10 years or whatever. And that waiting is where you have that email. I mean, what you ask Allah is to give us the email and the sorrow, essentially, to be able to reach the truth. Because we are always. We see that just what's ahead of us, and we are wanting always what's close and easy. But the good things always require suffering, requires stability, basically uh, to persevere and to, to, to be patient and so on. And managing that challenge and mindset is very good. It's very good point. I'm going to come back to it, inshallah. We just. And then you want to extrapolate the teaching a little bit on us today. As Muslim, you Muslim, first, second generation, and how we should behave, we should learn from the lesson. And I remember I, I lived in Harvard County, and then one day the idea of picking a masjid on one or eight, you know, picking one kind of a masjid, it was just an idea. Looks at how right now they have two services on Friday. But uh, even Mahmoud, he had his own meshit, not meshit, it just went. But uh, 20 years ago, you'd be sitting with the people and you would never think, mashallah, they're going to have such a big community to attract so many people and all that. So one of the people that found it must have the same type of, must learn, must have uh, read the area. And understood it very well, and you were planting the seed. 
one would become a million in in a few years. So you know that teaches how we should look at the big picture around us. Yeah. Do not look at and I want to get back to this idea of the patience. Because that also can be misleading. Tell me why. So our makabuwak. I'm gonna be patient together. You know what Allah says though? You might not even get this. Problem is when we worship outcomes. This surah is telling us it'll never happen the way you expect. The problem is when we worship outcomes, we start to get angry with Allah's plans. We've been waiting, 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 and nothing happened. Didn't you promise us numbers? Did you promise? So it's not just the patience, it's patience if you said something, trusting Allah's way of doing things. Wisdom. I'm not getting well. I'm not getting cured from an illness. Oh, I can't bear children. I can't get this. Whatever is happening in life, that will become your victory. If you're patient with it, just trusting Allah's plan. But there is good in it we cannot see. And then you said, what? What can the five limited senses that you being grasp? See, always these, like we see, hear, touch, smell, smell, feel, like, what can these basic five organs grasp from the greater reality of Allah? It's nothing. nothing. Meaning when Allah is setting the wheels of good on this earth because of your sincerity and your effort and your patience, it's already taking place, but your five organs cannot sense them. It's rippling out. A good example. This idea of what is happening throughout the Quran. Remember Surah Al-Jinn? Rasulullah said, what? Expecting what? When to die expecting? People, human beings there to listen to him. Did anybody listen to him? They threw stones at him, kicked him out. So the <coughs> physical outcome we wanted in life didn't happen. <coughs> Allah surprised him. He said, do you think I wasted your efforts? Nope. As soon as he leaves, who now listens? Jinn. Allah will astonish us. So long as we trust in Allah's mind. So often says, yeah, it didn't work, I'm trying, it's not, no one is listening, it's like, keep doing it. I would say the cat will listen. They never know what listens, the ants. So the man was talking to ants. <coughs> Consciousness of the greater reality of Allah. Don't worry, it's already prescribed and encoded in the heavens and the earth. And one day when we leave this earth, Allah will make us see it. Most people cannot have that level of faith and trust. Allah's hand, the wisdom, plans, and knowledge much bigger than my eyes. Let's not attach the outcomes. That's such an important thing. Otherwise, we'll always fail because projects are always gauged by specific goals, outcomes. When these are not happening the way we want them, just go along with what Allah, what Allah steers and leave the rest. Because remember when Allah described the believers, He said their desires were a little more. Allah's pressure. We do what we can do, outcomes are new. Make sense? Such an important point that Muslims struggle with. And it breeds anger with Allah. We try to impose on Allah how we should do things. That's a scary thing. Make sense? So, welcome back. So, thank you. So, you know, if you look at competitive sports, they, they divide uh, success in two pieces. So they say, there's a discipline and commitment required to practice to make yourself good enough to compete. 
then there's the part where on the day of competition, how do you bring all that uh, to the table? So they're both important. And in Islam, to me, it seems like, you know, it's designed for the practice part, which is every day, steadfastly doing what you're supposed to do, discipline, commitment, faith, patience, all of that. And it's very little about the, the, the game time uh, commitment, right? The game time, anybody can get emotional and go and say, I'm going to die for this and kill for this and whatever. But the, the beauty of the religion is everything that you do every day, which is not very, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't get big headlines. It's just you and your creator and how you live and how you engage and and the fear that you live with and the commitment that you show to the creator, right? And that's, what I find amazing is that the religion that's based on us doing this every day, we pray five times a day, you know, every single second of our lives, we're so supposed to be aware that means we're practicing for the final day, right? Which is the day of judgment. That's basically our final day. Um, so, you know, that's our final, that's going to be the right? How have you prepared for that one, one last judgment day? And yet, every time you look around and you think about, hear about Muslims, it's always the emotional people who are sort of jumping out, and they're usually not the ones who are actually executing their life plans uh, the way they're meant. They are the ones who kind of part-time in and out, and they get very emotionally uh, engaged, and perhaps there's a guilt that they don't do all the things they're supposed to do. So when somebody makes the cartoon of the prophet, they get more riled up more easily, perhaps. I don't know what it is, but it seems to me the people who actually try to live their lives the way it's described, uh, don't get riled up that fast. They do know that everything is under the control of Allah, and they don't have to get riled up. And that's something that I think somehow we have missed. You know, the discipline of the practice of Islam has sort of moved away from the day-to-day -day stuff. It's more about the big events and what people say in the big bombastic speeches and uh, protests. I, I, you hit, hit right on it. All the suras fit together around it. Surah just saw thought. Angels lined up, like we did this a few months ago. But it all starts there with your individual personal life and the discipline there and the strength and patience. I'm not going yeah, it's easy to talk big, big things and then our home is a mess. Our private life is a mess. There's no discipline, disorganized. <laughs> Like how is it? And, a, and the judgment of others, you know, that exactly. part, parcel of that. And it's all emotions. You said it's all emotions. You know, this sort of video, based on what you said, it's all like sort of rationality, too. This actually is a look. It's, also, it's a sort of a methodology process, discipline, descriptions, shows us how it's built up, how the tree's growing from the ear. From, wow, it's, it's, it's metaphysical, it's spiritual, it's. Experiential, it's physical, it's like, wow, this is an incredible. That's why it's not for everybody. The Rasulullah always said, most people don't be fooled by numbers. That's why I'm like, about everything, it's not, a not about numbers, it's about here. Um, what is it? Right. 
So if, if this is ill, you can have a zillion people. It doesn't matter. They're all going to be emotional and ego kicks in, etc. That's that's what devastates human beings. But the work on the heart requires as much discipline. And subhanAllah, the outcomes though are incredible, beyond, beyond comprehension. But I call it for emphasizing this notion of the discipline, and I wanted to also like just um, corollary to what you're saying. The discipline of the Salah. Look at our superficial understanding that we, here we line up so why not? And it's just an extraordinary miracle of Allah. The Muslims at the hearing of the Adhan, the Iqama, they know what to do. That is supposed to be a school. What we just did hour and a half ago is a school for the rest of life on how to organize, plan, be disciplined, follow a leader. SubhanAllah, and then we lose it finally. <coughs> With emotions and, and, and being riled up and yelling blah, 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 and getting worked up over our own desires and short term gain. How is like the contradictions are not normal, right? But it's because of understanding. Because we got busy with things that makes us feel good. You know, Islam is the same way, religion is the same way. It feels good to pray these extra guys. Feels good to judge the Quran and check him out how it's dressed today, right? And look at this beard. It's easy, short term, right? Nobody looks at well, quality, morals, ethics, character, right? Faith, building. Those things require hard work, even working with others. You know how people judge each other all the time, condemn each other? Because they don't work with each other. It's very not easy to work with hearts, build relationships, be patient with them, understand their problems. How many of us are willing to listen to somebody's stories of pain? That's Rahmah, right? Bonding with each other is not an Allah never promised building relationships to be easy. That's where sweat is. So instead of sweating with people, what's a better way to do it? You're horrible. Yeah, you're out of, you're not good. You're on a hellfire, right? Oof. So it's like the contradictions are very profound. Barakallahi. Let's wrap up, inshallah. I'll go. No, no, let me go. You're impatient now. I agree this side. <laughs> My my take on it, uh, it's a second verse of the surah, church, right? You know, you're asking for forgiveness, Allah. You're asking for forgiveness every day. And I go to Surah Fudge, 89, the last part of it, we're asking Allah to be pleased with our soul enter into my jhana. So I, I connect the two to me. It's a process, basically, whether it's we have a five minute prayer, we have to be good in, do good in, in, this, in this world, to good with other people. So Islam is a way of life. You gotta help do a whole bunch of different things. So we we ask for forgiveness and ultimate goal it's how to be pleased with our soul and yeah, so summed it up beautifully. So the fed right? That's what you said. Not a colour. Throw the fat and throw the fudge. Right. Where Allah says again, oh soul of peace, come back. Because that's all it is. Come back to Allah who's happy with you. And you're happy and tranquil and in a state of satisfaction that doesn't go away. That's really the Christ soul. I'm not and they, they, they forgot the bigger picture. 
So much to even learn from the, the thinking process of Rasulullah, right? Strategy, think the long term, the details. What details all scared? Who cares? Let them, let them chew over this, fools, right? He was already plotting something much bigger, and they all fell for it. Allah blinded them and remembering the work of Allah. Because they're sincere, Allah sealed the hearts of the fools, the criminals, that they thought they gave everything, and they lost it. Right? That's free. So you're not by yourself. Allah has soldiers working with you. But one has to begin, that's what with Bismillah. Sincerely, not just Bismillah, in the heart. Bismillah, and Allah delivers the, the goods, for sure. Um, so let me just, Abdullah, because anyway, raise your hand. Graciously, you guys, when you say food, is that everything? We have to be careful not to think we are like the smartest of the no, world. Right. We have essentially we have to always negotiate in good faith and focus on ourselves and don't worry about the other side. So thinking that we are the smarter or whatever is, is dangerous. The focus is being on yourself, focusing on the core and not on the defense, like you said. But I just want to say don't. Assume that they are fools. They are not fools. They are, they are very. Uh, uh, yeah, and when I meant it about Quraysh, it's when they're scheming against Allah. Yeah, yeah. but they just fool themselves. Being, not yeah, that yeah. so much. But because they're scheming, they're evil people. No, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you. But it's interesting how Allah blinded them without them knowing. But even today, Allah does that. It's not, but when you go into negotiation or you are doing your own thing, focus on yourself and on your faith and do things in good faith and. That the rest to Allah. Absolutely. Allah will take care of it. Uh, absolutely. This is a, such a good thing. Like, knowing who also went to Europe, like, there's a lot of negotiations. Like, this is not the time to discuss it. How many times do you have people representing others? They, rep they only represent themselves. Yeah. And their agendas, limited agendas, and their gains. A lot, a lot of political figures yeah. happen. The representatives don't represent the people, they represent their shore and their economic and political interests. Okay. So, this good faith, he said says so much. What yeah. is good? <coughs> Who do we really represent? And what are you seeking? Your agenda? What are you seeking? Are you seeking Allah? Are you seeking exactly. by that action to achieve what pleases Allah? Allah will take care of all the text. Focus on what your core is. When I look at this uh, surah, I remember when I was in Africa the first time, uh, and knew about the creature from the beard. One thing that comes to me in my mind all the time, no matter how many times, is where we have problems today following leadership. We don't trust our leaders. But what we fail to realize is that 
before somebody become a leader, somebody put them there. Whether the community, the society, whoever it is. But once you choose them, the only time you go against them is when they're doing something against the will of the people or the will of Allah. Now, Islam gave us the methods and the methodology by which we Chosen leader, which in our home community where we are, we, we use that. Even though we don't follow the show up, but we have election within the community. And when you look at the entire Muslim community, use just use America. When you go to different massages, the number one problem is the leadership. All the people themselves. People don't trust one another. Then I was, I always talk to you about it. How do we gain that back? Because during the last time of two lives, a lot of times, he was receiving message and people follow him and he tells them, if you look at the in that treaty, Umar, when he came to him, he had to question him that, are you really telling us that? We're not going to do this. Did you not tell? Because why? They don't have the message. They don't see beyond what the Prophet saw that he was telling them what they have to do. Now, we don't have a Sulaim no more, but we have leaders that we chose. Even when we disagree, there's a way to disagree that doesn't call fitna to this to the community. Now where we have a problem now is when we pray, you said something that's very profound. We pray, we do everything. As soon as we get out, we lost everything. Everything <coughs> other than our prayer is becoming individual. <coughs> we don't live as Jamaa no more. So that concept of Jamaa is what is missing. No, we, we, we might, we will disagree, but we ask, a lot of things that bring us together. Our life, life, the life, bring us together than anything else. So when we have to do something, and it comes from the concept of life, life, the life, we have it born, the unit, the grand, that allow us to be able to do something. But when you look at how we operate, I was telling you the other day, how somebody did disrespect our Imam, and I was telling you on what? Parking, parking space. You know, he refused to, to, to follow parking, to park. Don't park there, park there. And they said, you know, when I look at it, and when you look at what we do, they put no park, no parking space here in public, we would dare not do it. But when you come to our masjid, people will tell you they are not they are doing for the sake of Allah, they tell you don't park here, you will not listen to them. Sometimes I ask. What type of Islam do we practice? I ask myself sometimes, <coughs> we come to our own community where everything belongs to us, yet we don't follow simple rules. But when we go outside, they say no parking, you will not park there. They put yellow land, you will not park there. But when you come to your own community, you violate those things. And sometimes I just ask myself, why do we do that? Then we have 
now the audacity to say, oh, people are not doing this, people are not doing this, people are not doing this. We do a lot of evil to ourselves than what the people do to ourselves because of our discrimination. What causes us to be discriminating among ourselves when we call like that? You say, Pakistan will tell you all this. We have all this, but you know, you know, my tell our guide us and make it easy. Let us have the understanding of this faith, you know. I'm going to just wrap it all up. I'll take one final cup and we'll wrap it up. The Just to add to you, when, when Sultan Muhammad the second, when Sultan Muhammad the second conquered Constantinia, his stepmother, the Serbian king, who told him that he should persevere. Another woman that we would not so, so I'm telling you, man, please. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful message to add. Hate the words of Allah, right? Muhammad, this is a, actually, I think, uh, somebody's not even Muslim said, one of his scholars, I think, was it? I'm strong, Islam was born into the lap of a woman, and the lap of Rasulullah has ended on the lap of a woman. Right? What a beautiful message. Born into the lap of a woman, and he went, she secured him, protected him, right? He ran to her, Khadija, and died on the lap of Aisha, right? There's no escape from it, and that's the design of Allah. So, um, you know, I, I, just, I just wanted to say something about it here because people, uh, doesn't matter what title you have, because you know, the, the, when they start writing the treaties, they say, we don't know anybody else. Does it matter? Does it change the reality? Prophet's title removed was change the reality? Drawing the cartoon to make a fun of uh, Prophet, change the reality? No, reality will be reality. That's what you have to do. But one other thing, just on this whole idea, all this is talk, Islam is a communal journey. Community is the vehicle to face. And notice what it takes to divide and kill a community. Story, rumor, people love acts of the shaitan. Just brother, you mentioned a lot of communities that grow up and a lot of communities I mentioned that they destroyed because of rancor, because of envy, because of hate, because of desire of leadership, because of 
Sick hearts. I'm going to say sick hearts. One. And you know, it's not the one, the problem. The listeners of the community. Oh, you know, Chavez did that. Oh, my goodness. Well, I've seen so much horror in our communities. May Allah protect our community from just these divisions and the acts of the shaitan that manifest in human beings. But I don't worry about that. Honestly, the rotten tomato that wants to create stir in the pot, no big deal. What worries me is the listeners, the willing listeners who are happy. Mm, let's create this camp now. Right? And now that discipline, that God, Allah says, when the heart shattered, you lost it. You failed. Point is, that's what we need to be cognizant. Like, how do we protect that unity? That demands courage. You know what it demands? That when you're insulted, brother, and I've seen so much in communities, somebody gets insulted, nobody stands up in their defense. Nobody says, no, oh, that's unbefit. That's not right. That's good. You know, Protecting each other's well-beings, hearts, and souls is essential. We're not going to put up with any of these. It makes sense. Like means firmness, courage, nobility, dignity. It's not just by us watching. Wallahi, most communities that I've seen get destroyed. It's because the 99% of the community stand on the, stood on the side watching. It's none of my business. None of my business. And then the whole community collapsed. That, for me, is a scary reality. Right? So understanding unity is a lot of work too, right? And being vigilant. The flow is vigilant. So anyway. I, can say one thing. I just so feel like if that, if that incident happened today, the unfortunate reality is we have two sides in the You either have people who will never show up with the prophet to go, right? So who will never will be, be like, no, no, we don't want to go get killed. So you either have people who will never commit, or you'll have people who commit and will probably end up dying because they will not listen. They will get emotional. We don't have in between the, the proper uh, Muslims that are supposed to be created, who, who are humble, who lay down. So they either not show up, or they show up, they're too emotional, and their faith is very much uh, based on what do I do rather than what Allah does for me. You have the one in the city, and you have the other side, which is made up of blacks, blacks, We just want to request y'all, please make dua, all the safety in the community, but also brother to do Afghani can tell you more. Is it cis, right? Afghani? No, he's a Please make dua for me. Allah pure heaven. Heaven, 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 hea
and steer our hearts and minds and souls to His pleasure, His pleasure alone. May Allah accept our needs and our, for our efforts and make the, the Quran the spring of our hearts and make us among those who listen and obey and love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Barakallahu alayhi wa sallam. We'll see you next week. The Salaam alayhi wa sallam. Thank you.